Welcome to Startup Hacks, a We Global Studios podcast. We explore the stories and secret strategies that women entrepreneurs use to save time and money when bootstrapping and building their businesses. I'm your host, Fernanda Carapina, and today I'm very excited to welcome Lori Bonani. Lori is the founder of Elsis LLC, a multidisciplined communications consulting firm. Lori builds and grows a company's reputation with the goal to increase brand awareness, business results, and credibility. She's the non-traditional publicist for companies as early stage as startups and established as Global 500s. Lori, it is so great to finally have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure. I thought we might start today by um, giving our audience a little background on you, where you're from, and how you got started um, in this field. Sure. Um, I I grew up outside of Philadelphia. I'm currently based up in Rochester, New York, after about 15 years in New York City and a brief stint in Atlanta. Um, and it's actually a funny story. So when I um, was going to college, I um, you know, when you have to pick your major, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And so when I would, you know, it was all paper back then. And you would look at the list of majors. And it was basically the process of elimination that I picked communications, which is where I still am <laughs> 21 years later. Um, but um, that was really how I decided. I, I don't know if you remember the show, Who's the Boss? Um, but I yeah. wanted to be like Angela Bauer. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. And did you achieve that, do you think? At, some, at one point, yes. So I did work in advertising and had a fast-paced job, yes. <laughs> I did. So when, you, um, so when you finished your studies, what was kind of your first position out of school? Um, well, when I was studying, I really wanted to um, have a study abroad semester, but the way that my major was set up, I had decided that too late. Uh, and staying in school an extra year just wasn't financially feasible. Um, and so I actually left. I, I got myself a work visa and I moved to London. Um, and I went up long, many jobs later, I went up my in a publishing firm. And so that was sort of kicked off. I was an assistant to the publisher. Um, so that sort of kicked it off. And when I came back to New York um, to, to get a full-time job, um, my first job was at a, a company that was actually based in London, and they were expanding to the U.S. So it basically was a flip flop, and I worked in a PR, a healthcare PR firm. So, would you say that most of your professional experience has been then thereafter, kind of in the marketing specific area? Absolutely. I went from healthcare communications, solely healthcare, to uh, DDB, which is a a major advertising agency. Uh, I found out after the fa- I wanted more consumer products, and I found out after the fact I was hired because of my healthcare experience. Um, and then I moved on to NBC. So definitely marketing, media, communications. I have definitely stayed on on the path, <laughs> including also Verizon, Universal, etc. Exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so after many years in the business, I'm saying many years, I don't know how many, but I, I'm, I imagine that you were probably in there for 10 plus. Would that mm-hmm. be accurate? Yeah. Um, so at what point did you start thinking about wanting to go out on your own? Um, I had left my job at NBC to go backpacking in South America. Uh, and when I came back, I had set up, but prior to leaving, I had set up some freelance work um, before 
deciding what I was going to do. Um, and my boyfriend at the time, now husband, um, we knew we wanted to leave New York. And I went up freelancing just in between like job searching, but I went up lo loving freelance so much. I went up doing it for about two and a half years before I decided I probably need to find a full-time job because that's just what you do. Um, or so I thought, and I went up, we moved to Atlanta for a full-time job. I was the head of marketing for a company, um, for their first ever marketing director. Um, and about 15 months later I got laid off and I was like, oh, I, I could do that. I could freelance again. Like I could do this. Like having my own company wasn't even in my thought process. Um, and so I, we left Atlanta, we came up to Rochester, New York, and stayed with my mother-in-law for a bit to kind of like figure it out. And I don't love snow, so I was not all about staying here. <laughs> Fast forward the story, and I went up freelancing um, while I was interviewing, and um, I picked up clients out um, San Diego tech startups. I started working full-time freelance for Verizon, and, you know, eight, nine months from working from my mother-in-law's dining room table, I had told my husband, I think I could live here. I think this would be fun. And, you know, um, and after his, you know, mouth came up off the floor, um, he was like, okay. And I was like, but the caveat, one of them was that I would have to have my own company. And it was then that I was all in on being an entrepreneur. Um, and so that's how, that's how it came about. <laughs> that's so funny. Did you, when you, when you say that you were hired to freelance on the marketing side, obviously, as people know, marketing is such a huge field. And there's so many different aspects to it. Could you talk a little specifically about what your specific expertise is? Sure. So um, when I have been hired by clients, it's for communications, right? So it's super big. Um, and so Verizon, I came in and did a lot of go-to-market, a lot of market research, um, and a lot of writing, uh, starting new marketing materials, helping uh, leaders become thought leaders um, in the field. Um, the other company that I was working for at the very beginning um, basically was a, a tech startup and they wanted press and they just wanted to be able to have links back to their website. That was, you know, that was the directive and it was just ready, set, go. Um, and so being creative to find the press hits. Um, one of my favorite stories is um, the clients, you know, I, I had interviewed all the executives and um, some people on the team to like figure out, you know, what who are they outside of work? And um, fast forward, I was on Twitter and a reporter that I follow um, for that particular client um, had put on a post, you know, asking for sources for virtual reality. And while that was not at all what this company did, I knew the COO was really into VR. And so I connected them and he got a quote in USA Today. Um, you know, and obviously when they had news, you know, we went to the tech crunches and the next webs and all the, the tech platforms. Um, but just thinking outside the box and really understanding who your clients are outside of work can help get that. So that's sort of what I apply to everything. So I can do anything from strategy to execution. And, um, you know, I love doing PR and media relations, internal communications. I love crisis communications planning. Um, working on product launches is really fun. Um, I'm definitely a, a word nerd, so I'm a writer. Um, and I have a strong business development background from my time at DDB. So when I say communications, it's really broad, but I've 
kind of dipped my toes into most everything, you know, under this umbrella that I've created. And so now let's talk a little bit about the company that you created and what stage you're at now and what your um, what your niche is. Sure. So um, Elsis is a multidisciplined communications consulting firm, and it brings together my marketing, communication and business development expertise. Um, you know, in my corporate life, I've worked in nearly every industry, tires to toilet paper, financial to food. <laughs> and um, as a consultant, I really gravitate to clients in technology, healthcare, food and beverage, uh, education and travel and tourism. And I call myself a non-traditional publicist uh, for companies as early as startups and as established as Global 500. So um, I, my pitch, my elevator pitch is that I build and grow companies' reputations to increase awareness, business results, and credibility. And that can be done in, in all these different ways from strategy to execution. Um, and then the name Elsis is actually my maiden name reversed. I didn't want <laughs> the name ends, you know, with my sister and I, and I, I really wanted something um, for a company name that would be memorable and sort of what, what, is, what do you do? I, against good advice, I didn't want marketing or communications at the end of my company name. Um, and so I reversed Elsis and, and sometimes when people see it, they're like, well, that's not even a word, which it's not. Um, and basically, you know, when I do tell people, they're like, oh, and it's, you know, I've now, you know, phrased the, the line as like, just look what happens when you think of something differently. And, you know, thankfully my maiden name was easy enough to, to reverse. To flip. So, so how has it been living in upstate New York and launching your business from there? I mean, I think that a lot of, a lot of our listeners um, have had to adjust during the time of COVID. And obviously you made a choice to stay there, but have you found that it's been beneficial or that it, there's been some hardships? No, I actually, I think it's great. And and I don't love snow, so it's ironic that I am enjoying it here. <laughs> um, but it really is a great city. And um, it, now that I have a daughter too, it's just a really easy place to, to do things like, you know, going to theater and things. It's not such a big city that it's that it's like, oh, I have to drive an hour. Um, but I've actually, on the business side, um, we're only about two and a half, three hours from Toronto, which has been really helpful pre-COVID um, to just have access to an international city and, um, you know, working with some clients. Um, and also, you know, New York is about a five hour drive, which is, you know, nothing, um, about 45 minute air uh, flight. So super easy. And pre-COVID, I was back in New York by three, every three to five weeks. Um, and Philadelphia, I have roots there. So the same. Um, but I don't really, the, the only thing that was really something that, you know, was to think about. Um, I've been really spoiled living, you know, growing up outside of Philadelphia, living in New York and Atlanta. I've never really had to connect for domestic flights ever. Um, so the first time I flew um, to Florida for a client, I had to connect in Charlotte. And when I was boarding, they, um, I don't pack heavy. So I just had a rollerboard and they were like, we have to take it. We're not letting any bags on the plane. And I was like, like I was so unprepared, like as somebody that travels so much, like everything's organized. I have what I need where I need it. I was so disorganized that, you know, I didn't even have a, a cell phone charger, like anything. So 
Um, I've now upped my game and, and <laughs> I'm much easier if I have to connect and if they were to take my bag away. Um, but that was, that's really been the only challenge. Um, and now everybody is remote. So it's, you know, even easier. And I'm wondering if, um, you, you feel that your company, now that you have your own marketing company, if it provides other than, you know, obviously financial independence and, and you run your own show, are there certain things that you're able to do from the marketing side for your company that you wouldn't be able to do if you were a marketing executive at most companies? No, it's funny, funny you ask this question. So during COVID, a lot of um, my retainer clients had paused and basically through the summer of 2020, it was just small projects. And so I actually treated myself like a client and I hadn't done that in so long. So, you know, reaching out to podcast guests, podcast hosts to be a guest, um, writing my own thought leadership articles, being more active, promoting myself, um, which is something that I never did because I was always doing it for clients. Um, so I think that that was something that I don't know that I would have done had I had a full-time job because you know, your job change changes on LinkedIn and you don't really give it another thought. And now LinkedIn is a good source of referrals for me. Um, so really being able to treat myself like a client has been super beneficial. And, you know, kind of the uh, cobbler's kids had no kid, uh, no shoes prior to that. Right. So I want to, uh, you and I had had an opportunity to, to chat a little bit before the podcast. And I, I was wondering if you could, I wanted to jump into some of our discussions regarding just managing your business, hacks, what you found was really helpful and beneficial as you started to build your business. And, and granted, you've done some freelance work at other times, but now you've formalized things and started your own company. In, in the early days, or maybe even now, um, I was wondering if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about your time management strategies. Sure. So um, Paul Graham has something called a maker-manager schedule, and it basically divides your day um, and how, how you think or how you divide your week. So one of the things that I have found is I don't schedule calls um, just willy nilly on Mondays. And I try not to do anything, um, on calls until at least Tuesday. Um, and then I have found, um, as I'm evolving through COVID that I really, um, I normally space out calls. And I think that that becomes part of this, you know, the maker schedule gets all out of whack. Uh, the manager's schedule is much more d defined and, and what is going on and that deep thinking for the maker, you know, because I make these calls so spaced, I don't have enough time to do that deep work. So I've adjusted that to do calls more in a row, one, two, three, so that the time chunks uh, to be the maker works. Um, and so I'm still refining it, but I, I actually was doing this without seeing this article and a friend posted it on LinkedIn and I read it and I was like, wow, I'm, I, I do this. <laughs> um, and so that's just been really helpful to know that, um, you know, the Monday is just let's get deep work done and, and stuff like that. So I, I think that's such a, that was so interesting when you mentioned that and I actually read through the article 
And what I thought <clears throat> what I thought was really interesting is this notion that when you do have a day where you have several calls in, even if it's like one at 10, one at, you know, maybe 1130, one at 230, the windows that you have in between, you know, really aren't sufficient enough to be like, okay, now I'm going to work on our go-to-market strategy, or now I'm going to work on drafting a blog. Um, you will, you kind of get halfway done with things. So this idea of really carving out huge chunks of time to just be productive and be focused on output, and then other days where you're kind of working on facilitating other types of business like outreach meetings, deal flow, et cetera, I think does make a lot of, of sense. Have you found that it really helps your productivity? Yeah, absolutely. Um, being able to know that Monday I don't book meetings um, and now I have started, uh, I, what I was doing before was making um, meetings and I was giving a little bit of time in between, but it wasn't enough time. Um, so this maker manager schedule from Paul Graham has really, you know, been eye opening. I, I was doing something like that. Um, and then so a friend of mine posted something on LinkedIn about the article that he had written. And I was like, wow, I'm already doing that. And still a couple of the changes I've made, um, you know, I don't book any calls until Tuesdays. And when I do book calls, I book them more on top of each other now so that I have those wider windows of being able to. Um, get real work done um, and not just having like 20 minutes here and 35 minutes there, um, which has been really helpful. Yeah, that is great. I, I actually have tried to to mirror that a little bit. It's just hard sometimes when everybody, you know, wants to speak to you to really carve out that time, but does really does really help. So let's talk a little bit. I, I'm just wondering if you have a marketing hack that that you want to throw out for our listeners, since that's your area of expertise, if there's some that you think are really beneficial for businesses? Yeah, so I have been using um, Fiverr for a new um, company that I am launching with a co-founder. And I have found that super beneficial in terms of um, finding quality people and being able to go through and using that um, platform. So that's been helpful with with a very small budget. Um, and so that would be my my hack that, you know, doing your homework and making sure you have somebody that's got great recommendations and that aligns with what you need. Um, that would be my that would be my hack. So um, for people who don't know what Fiverr is, can you describe it and also spell it so people know where to go? Sure. It's Fiverr, F like Frank, I-V-E-R-R. -R, so two R's at the end. And it's basically a platform where people put their services on. It started as, you know, $5, I can do this. Um, and it's expanded into, you know, being able to, you know, for X amount, I can do this. For X amount, I can do this. And there's usually two or three different options. Um, so I think it was about $140 and we got an entire logo package, um, which, you know, not to say that you can't get one from somebody that is charging a lot more, but um, for people on a budget, I think it's definitely the way to go. Um, so it's just an, an online platform where people from all over the world are, are offering their services. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. And obviously do your homework and make sure you get someone who's really good and has good reviews. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so when you talk about um, when you talk about kind of um, 
the marketing ways to save time and money from a marketing standpoint. Do you have any any recommendations that pertain to kind of gaining a competitive edge and standing out against your other competitors, which is always such a big concern with founders and startups, especially when you have limited budget and you want to prove to the world that your product or service is better, smarter, faster. Um, do you have any kind of tricks of the trades that you've used previously that you find are kind of an effective way to stand out? Yeah, so one of the things in terms of PR, people are ready to just reach out to reporters and say, well, I exist, so people will write about me. Um, and that's just not the case. So really digging for a story, like maybe there is something that you're launching or you've just brought on a big investment or something, you know, that is newsworthy in some circles. Um, but being able to craft a story um, around anything. So let's say uh, it's a healthy snack company and you're pitching, you know, food publications. Well, if you think about what is the snack packaged in, is it environmentally friendly? Um, is there something about, you know, is there a superfood in it that's being written about? Is it really good, you know, for on the go? Is it great for kids? Um, so basically, instead of just pitching food companies or food press, now you can pitch sustainability, you can pitch health and travel. Um, so really just going beyond where you think the norm is in terms of what that story could be. And, you know, you know, is there's there something special about the manufacturing facility, you know, maybe there's a trade magazine that would make sense. So obviously the, the story that you're going to pitch to um, a trade publication is not going to be the same as, you know, a mom looking for a good snack to take on an airplane. Um, but being able to craft these different stories is really key because it's, it's really, it's not just, I exist, please write about me anymore. <laughs> right. And so I don't really know much about PR at all, but I do, having been a studio executive and people would come in and pitch shows all the time, that particular world is very closed off to just regular folks who want to walk in the door and pitch a show. And I'm just wondering on the publishing side, if you're a founder um, I mean, can anybody reach out to, you know, a publisher and say, hey, I have something I want to pitch. Do you do it by email? Is it hard to reach those folks? Oh, my gosh, we could talk about this for two hours. <laughs> I would say anybody can reach out to a reporter um, at, as long as you have a story. But I would definitely say that the best thing to do is research. Um, so if you're just going to reach out willy nilly, you know, I have a lot of tech clients and I have food and beverage clients and my media list for food and beverage is not necessarily the same list as a tech client. Um, and even if it's in tech, you know, um, artificial intelligence versus a SaaS product, those would even be different reporters. So really getting the, the reporter list right is so important because their journalists get so many um, emails that they'll just start deleting um, if it's not relevant to them. Um, mm -hmm. There's a couple of journalists I follow on Twitter and, you know, they'll write like funny, like PR things like that. There was the wrong name. It was the wrong publication. Um, and, you know, or the pitch was completely off. So you can absolutely reach out to a reporter on your own, but just really do your homework and make sure, you know, what that reporter has written about in the past. Does that align with what you're pitching them as well? 
Okay, and do you have anything on your site, which I'm going to ask you to tell us what it is in a little bit, um, that would have kind of tips and, and tricks for on the marketing side? If not, I think you should. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually working on that right now. Um, so that look for that soon. Okay, um, good. Yeah, and then, um, yeah, there's lots of different tricks out there in terms of, you know, that research is really the key. Um, and then, you know, if you're pitching a reporter in a different market, different time zone, make sure you're pitching between their nine to five workday. You know, if you're pitching Asia and you're based in, United States, you know, make sure that you stay up late and don't, don't be putting it in their inbox at, in the middle of the night, their time. Got it. That's excellent advice. Well, Lori, we unfortunately are out of time and I wanted to thank you for being on Startup Hacks. Your, um, your suggestions and ideas are actually really great, very helpful. And I think a lot of founders can certainly use your, um, your, tips and tricks for sure, as marketing is always such a key component. If listeners would like to learn more about the work that you're doing, your company, or want to contact you, what would be the best way? Sure. You could go to my website, elsas.com. So that's E-L-S like Sam, S like Sam, U-S like Sam.com. Um, and you can find me on LinkedIn, Lori Cecil Banani. And I have a page for my um, company as well that I post um, some relevant articles and, and information. And check back for those tips and tricks coming to your website soon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you again. And tune in next week for more Startup Hacks. We've got another great show you won't want to miss on the secret female founder strategies that will save you time and money when building your business. This podcast is brought to you by We Global Studios, the first startup innovation studio and digital do-it-yourself startup platform for women entrepreneurs around the world. For more information on our guests, this podcast, and many other female founder programs, please visit weglobalstudios.com. I'm your host, Fernanda Kirapina, and we will see you next week.